As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer, and we just watched one of the longest 0-0 games that I can remember seeing. Yeah, I thought it would never end at some point. In fact, I was begging for it to end at some point so I could more consciously switch over to the uh, Canada-Sweden World Juniors game last night, and for some reason, it just it just wouldn't end. It had to keep going and going and going. Yeah, the Red Wings end up going to a 0-0 shootout with Columbus. Both goalies uh, made like 30-plus saves, although there was some, uh, in, some uh, questioning of how legitimate the uh, shot totals were, possibly inflated shot totals on both ends. But nevertheless, no pucks crossed the goal line until the shootout. Actually, one puck crossed the goal line until the shootout. That was Oliver Bjorkstrand. Uh, and it gets called back due to offside. So, very uneventful game. Red Wings pick up a loser point, but uh, Columbus winning it does uh, help those of you who are monitoring the draft standings at this time of year. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, I, th- I thought the story of the game was the play of Joe Valeno, who makes his debut. And really, I thought looked like he belonged. Yeah, I mean, Valeno, uh, I think Blaschel said it best, maybe in his press conference, that it very clearly looked like he was a guy who played uh, two professional years in the year prior, obviously having his AHL year and then his SHL year. But, I mean, he looked poised. He uh, was not afraid to throw the puck on the net, except for that, you know, one sequence on the power play where he probably should have taken that shot, uh, but, you know, deferred there. But, I mean, besides that, I thought he was, you know, good on the puck defensively. I thought he was positionally sound. Um, and he found himself uh, with a little bit more ice time than I think a lot of people expected him to get after he'd only played, I think, a little over two minutes in the first period. Yeah, I mean, the first period was when the Red Wings were on the penalty kill the most. I think it was at least two or three penalties they had to kill in the first period. And so, uh, yeah, you saw him right under three minutes, I think, is what it was in the first. And, and that, I thought, was probably why. Now, someday, could Joe Valeno kill penalties? Probably in his first NHL game, uh, probably not. So I think that explained the first period ice time. But as the game went along, it, it seemed like he was being trusted upon to, to keep going out there, keep taking a shift in a 0-0 game. And I thought he justified it. I mean, he had the one steal really early in the game. He picks a defender or a, a, a was it a defenseman's pocket. It was in the, it was in the Columbus zone. Yeah. Uh, picks his pocket, you know, 30 feet from the Columbus goalie and, and creates a really dangerous, maybe even less than that from the Columbus goalie, creates a really dangerous look for himself. Um, later in the game, he, he had a nice uh, shot on goal. So, I thought Joe Valeno, really from the full perspective here, he good back checks, obviously, that's always going to be important for young players in the Red Wing system coming up. I thought he acquitted himself really well. And if he keeps playing like this, um, you know, I, I think that will go a long way toward getting him a spot on, on the opening night next year. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably at this point, 
it's exactly like you said, that if over the next five games he plays with that same kind of poise positioning uh, that, that Jeff Plaschel seems to look for, I think you've probably seen him play his last game for Grand Rapids. I think he you know, can become a fixture in the lineup. I think the other thing to sort of note is he also, you know, did quite well. He handled himself uh, in the faceoff dot, which is sometimes a challenge yep. for some of these younger players uh, to to come in and be able to win faceoffs at the NHL level on a consistent basis. I think initially he was credited at what you know four and zero in the first period, and then I think they ended up taking uh, one away. But for the game, he ends up finishing plus one in faceoff wins, which is. Uh, again, coming out better than 50% in your first professional game at the NHL level, I think is a, a huge, huge win for him. And and so ultimately, I think you have to be encouraged by what you saw there, uh, just all facets of Valeno's game. You mentioned not playing another game in Grand Rapids. I mean, do you, I mean, is, is the argument that he wouldn't finish this season in GR, even though it goes longer just because he's played a full season already? Or, or do you just mean kind of like, Broadly, he's never going to be playing GR over Detroit again if he keeps playing like this. Yeah, yeah, more more the latter one. I mean, okay, I don't yeah, see yeah. why they wouldn't send him down to to finish right. the season after the Wings finish this year. But broadly speaking, like you know, this may be the last. If he plays this way, he's not going to play in Grand Rapids over Detroit if Detroit's an option for him. Yeah, okay, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think if you know the, the the way that he was last night, I think is kind of the ideal. Um, debut for a rookie and that he did everything except kind of score which which you know he got the shots that that could have scored and and will eventually lead to him creating offense either for him or for his line mates even even off that turnover you know that rebound pops a little different and maybe you're looking at a Sam Gagne tap-in goal so um, I I was really impressed with Valeno and and certainly if he keeps that up it will mean good things for him and even better things for the Red Wings. Yeah, I mean, because if again, we've talked about the importance of uh, having some of these guys hit in ways where they outperform where they were drafted, you know, Valeno being 30th overall, obviously there are some expectations already tagged to him uh, there, but if he can come in and, and be that really solid middle six center that you're sort of hoping for on the upside of things, then I think that really, again, accelerates what Detroit's able to do and sort of gives them another chip to to work with gives Eisenman another card to play with and and ultimately kind of pushes the Red Wings a little bit further in their rebuild process. Last year to open the season, the Red Wings had their six most recent first round picks starting in Grand Rapids, that being Evgeny Svechnikov, Michael Rasmussen, Dennis Chalowski, Philip Zadina, Joe Valeno, and Moritz Sider. Five of those six now currently in Detroit uh, and another one in Sider who by all you know, all we can tell would also be if that were possible for him to be. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't have, obviously, the, the whole SHL COVID players. shutdown and yep. he doesn't go to the SHL, then most siders in the NHL already by now. So uh, it's kind of nice to see that progression of those guys really quickly. I think that's something that, you know, maybe fans had lamented in years past where there was this very slow, intentional, methodical progression of these guys. You had six of them in Grand Rapids last year and Five of the six are in, in the NHL this year and really would be six of six if Sider could uh, do that. But, uh, you know, ultimately speaking, I think that's a nice progression from each of those guys. How many of them are in Detroit on opening night next year? That's a great question. I, you know, the the two that are most uh, up in the air for me are Sveshnikov and, and Chalowski, surprisingly, the two older draft picks uh, of the crop, I think are the two that are maybe least likely to be there I think pending how the expansion draft goes with Seattle, one of those two could be unprotected and selected by Seattle. Um, Both uh, are are restricted free agents this offseason. I imagine that Detroit doesn't walk away from either of them and they will qualify both of them. But, you know, we'll we'll certainly see. And I think from a roster spot perspective, if Valeno plays the way he's playing now, I think he's earned himself a spot. Zadina is very clearly going to be there. Rasmussen's been a fixture for a majority of the season. Uh, it's hard to envision a scenario where those three are not. And with most Sider coming over, um, obviously Cholowski's lefty, Sider's righty, so I don't think it necessarily impacts that in that perspective. But I, I have a hard time seeing maybe those two guys as ha- being slam dunks to be on the opening night roster. I agree those would be the two questions. I'm a little more confident in Cholowski than I am in Svechnikov at this point. Um, I actually think Chalowski's played pretty well, you know, in, in this call up. I know some people have talked about kind of the the hesitancy, or maybe you're not seeing him look to make kind of quite the same amount of plays, but he's 
obviously he had a beautiful goal the other night, nearly had one that was almost identical to it uh, a couple of games prior or maybe the game prior. And I think he's been really steady playing with Philip Peronic. Like that, that duo seems to work really well. I don't know if it's the mobility or the puck moving or what it is, but I think they complement each other really well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been a huge gift for Chalowski is the last couple of games being able to play with Philip Aronik is a little bit more of a steadying presence. And maybe you're asking Chalowski to do less of the work um, in that sense, uh, because you do have a guy who's a good puck mover in Philip Aronik, and and he is a good bailout option for Chalowski to be able to throw the puck back to and very good positionally in his own zone. So I think all of that really helps Chalowski as opposed to him sort of scrambling around and having to chase the play a little bit more. Um, and you saw that, I think, in the game against Columbus. That pair was... Uh, one of Detroit's better pairs, and, and they did a nice job overall in a uh, pretty hefty amount of ice time. I think uh, Chalowski finished with uh, almost 19 minutes at even strength, which is a huge amount of ice time for him, and really ice time he wasn't getting uh, in, in years prior and even games prior. So I think uh, hopefully that serves as a big confidence boost for him, and he continues to uh, kind of figure out his decision-making, shows a little bit less hesitancy. I still think you see the moments. Yeah. I think one of the first rushes of of the game, uh, he turns the puck over at center ice on a pretty sloppy pass where basically all of his outlets are taken away and he just chips it over to the uh, to the area near the bench. And there's absolutely no one there to, to pick that puck up and ends up being a rush in the other direction. So that, that stuff still needs to get ironed out. But I think Blaschel giving him minutes, putting him with Philip Peronik, uh, is definitely a big confidence boost for a guy like him. They did get crushed in shot attempts, but uh, they won the expected goals battle, and that seems to be a trade-off the Red Wings are pretty consistently willing to make is, is they're going to prioritize um, the quality, which which is really all they can do. I don't know that they're built to, to dominate shot share, but but in terms of doing their job, uh, winning their shifts, I, I think that the, the best measure for that, at least how the Red Wings have um, operated, probably is expected goals, and, and they graded out well as a pair in that department. Yeah, and really that's sort of been a theme for the Wings uh, across the season where they're they're very much okay allowing teams to tee off from the perimeter uh, so long as they're not giving up um, you know high-quality scoring chances, and that sort of bears out in the numbers against Columbus there. Columbus had a lot of perimeter chances. I thought if you go back and you look at the – the game, even though the shot attempt certainly seemed inflated to me, the team that had the better quality chances was by far Detroit. Um, and, and so that just seems to be a common refrain for the Wings. Yeah. The one I have a hard time with is Svechnikov because I look at next year and I don't see a spot for him. I mean, I, I'm having a hard time finding I, – I know there's some guys who are going to be free agents, but – some of those guys are guys that I think it makes a lot of sense to bring back and, you know, like you know Sam Gagne being one of them. I don't know how if you if you're going to pay about the same price for the two of them, and right now they are about the same price. I don't know how you pick Svechnikov over Gagne realistically. I mean, I, I guess the argument is he's younger, but if you just took out if you strip it of the context of he was a first round pick six years ago and his last name is Svechnikov, how do you pick him over Sam Gagne if if you're if you're the Red Wings. I mean, I don't know. I took a lot of heat for saying I wouldn't protect uh, Evgeny Svechnikov when I wrote, you know, who I would protect for the expansion draft. But, you know, truth be told, a lot of people still view him as a prospect. The guy's going to be 25 by the time next season starts. But who's a lot of 20... people? Like like fans? Or are you talking like you know, Oh, I'm talking about fans. People. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Fans. Yeah, yeah. I took a lot of heat from fans, uh, you know, for saying I wouldn't protect Evgeny Svechnikov. But, I mean... There's a couple of things where we're at right now. Yes, he's had bad injury history, and yes, he has a pedigree of being uh, a pretty solid offensive hockey player, but in the games that they've been able to get him in at the NHL level, he doesn't consistently drive play. He doesn't consistently you know, move the needle for me, uh, and, and really for the Red Wings uh, as a whole. He's going to be 25 years old in, in October uh, as you're getting ready to start this 2021-2022 season. And he's starting to get passed by by all the forwards that have been picked after him. I mean, we're already talking about Lucas Raymond. We're talking about Jonathan Bergen as being outside chances to make this roster. I don't know how you have Svechnikov in a spot over those guys. And I understand that there's there's this perception that he didn't get a fair shake, and that may be true. Uh, You know, his injury history certainly limited how quickly the Wings were able to get him up and then limited his ability to stick in the lineup. But at the end of the day, you got to evaluate him on what he's done and what he's likely to do moving forward. I don't see enough here 
to where I think Sveshnikov is going to be successful in Detroit. The I think maybe. Expect- Go ahead. I'm no. I was going to say maybe maybe he's successful in another organization that can offer him you know a different system, different opportunities, something else. But I, I just don't see it here in Detroit. The best thing he has going for him is an expected goals for percentage that is about even. I mean, that like, that's the best thing he, he plays is – because he does have some production, um, even though, again, I don't know how much of it he's kind of self-creating, um, he, he does seem to play his shifts to a draw, or at least his lines do. And that's probably the best asset that he has going for him. Um, but, you know, I start, I start breaking it down and I, you know, this all depends on what the Red Wings do. If, if they're going to trade one or more forwards or something, or they're not going to resign anybody who walks, then sure, you you lose nothing by keeping this, you know, former first round pick around and hoping at some point it, it, it happens for them. But let's say they don't, let's say they keep everybody, um, not, not the unrestricted, but at least one or two of them, right? You, you're going to go Larkin, Mantha, Fabry. No Mantha. No Sorry, <laughs> Larkin, Bertuzzi, <laughs> Favre. Uh, you're going to go Verana, Zadina, Rasmussen, Valeno, Nemesnikov. Uh, and then you have a spot who I would say which could go to either Bobby Ryan or Sam Gagne. And then you're going to have the fourth line. I don't know if you're re-signing Luke Lindenning, um, but you're going to have Adam Ernie. So you've got two fourth line spots. Is Svechnikov, if, if you're not re-signing Luke Lindenning, then whoever is in that spot is going to be leaned on as your number one penalty killer. That will not be Evgeny Svechnikov. Uh, so you've really got a third line wing and a fourth line wing spot kind of up for grabs. One of them I really think probably should go to either Bobby Ryan or Sam Gagne. And one of them I think Evgeny Svechnikov is probably battling any of um, Lucas Raymond, Giovanni Smith, Jonathan Berggren. And oh, by the way, Richard Ponick is still signed. So he probably has to be in that conversation. And I actually think he would you know, probably be... Uh, in that lineup based on the way he's played fine since coming over here he's played like a like a legit bottom six player so those are the spots you're battling for I mean if you want to argue don't resign either of Ryan or Gagne that's fine I think I would but that's fine if, if other people think not but you know then you, you can't have Svechnikov and Raymond that's that's kind of a non that's not there's no way to make the math work on that unless you're going to trade somebody higher up in the lineup which very well could happen but I'm just looking at the numbers, and I don't see how you fit Svechnikov into the picture here, at least in the lineup. I guess if you want to keep him around and and be an extra skater, that's that's another thing. But Franz Nielsen's already taken up one of those spots unless you buy him out. Yeah, I mean, you know, based on kind of how you and I prognosticated what the lineup might look like next year based on what we think Steve Eiserman will do, um, it's unlikely that multiple guys ahead of Svechnikov are getting moved out. And as a result, you know, he's competing with Gagne there in the bottom six. He's competing with potentially Bobby Ryan getting slotted down there um, on that third line. And, and and at that point, those are two veteran players that right now contribute more than Evgeny Svechnikov does. And even though Svechnikov, you know, has the young has his age going for him as an asset there, the the big issue you run into is does he have enough in the tank that makes it worthwhile to keep him around? Do you think he has another gear. What do you think his development curve looks like? And at 24 years old, going to be 25 in just a few months, I just personally don't see it happening here in Detroit. That's not to say he can't be successful elsewhere. We've seen Thomas Nosek, who was the expansion draft selection by Vegas, has continued to be successful for Vegas in their bottom six. He's still a piece for them over there. Even Thomas Yurko got into games for Vegas after he bumped around. So, you know, maybe the, the environment in Detroit isn't set up for him to be there. Uh, and maybe he's going to be successful elsewhere, but I just don't see it happening here in Detroit to make me want to keep him around. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the other side of, the, of what you mentioned with maybe him not necessarily getting a fair shake. Um, I, I think that that is a fair point. Like, I, I think you could have him in more prominent roles, although he has played on the first line like fairly often over the last month. Um, but if that is your contention, you also have to grant that it it means the Red Wings aren't, for whatever reason, giving him those opportunities, why would that change? I mean, that they've waived him twice. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, I think that tells me all I need to know about where this is headed. I could be wrong. Um, I'm not saying they a hundred percent will not bring him back. I'm just saying I have a hard time seeing them, um, you know, reserving a space in the lineup, I guess would be the way I would put it. Yeah. And I, I have to agree with that. I just don't see how you can carve out a set space for him, um, at this point in time. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Moving on from there, um, I think you had one eye on last night's game, one eye on the first period at least of Canada-Sweden at the World U18s. I was able to get to Canada-Sweden um, after the press conferences, which gave me most of the last two periods. Um, so I don't know, did, were you able to watch the full game or did you check out midway through? I think I checked out around, what was it, 7 or 8 nothing Canada. I think <laughs> so at that point four I was... goals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I actually missed five because I guess Sweden... Sweden did <laughs> score, yes, that's true. Uh, but it was, uh, it was really impressive to watch. Um, Canada was absolutely steamrolling. I think it was about... 10 minutes into the game and Canada was already up four nothing. I don't even know if the Swedish goaltender at the time, Carl Lindbaum had even made a save. Uh, it was just, it was completely uh, just line after line after line coming after Sweden. I don't know if they knew what hit them. So we're going to talk about some of the standouts from what you saw. You were able to watch, I think a little more so far overall of this tournament than I've been able to. I, I, I got uh, in on some of the USA game, on night one, and then, you know, like I said, the second half of Canada-Sweden on night two. I will say, having watched differing halves of the Canada-Sweden game, I think you and I both came away with the same uh, number one standout player, and that is Brant Clark for Team Canada. Yeah, I mean, Brant Clark, two goals, two assists in that uh, game against Sweden there. He was all over the ice. I mean, in the first period, had a nice breakout pass to set up one of Shane Wright's first goals. Then later joined the rush, uh, was able to score on a on a nice shot joining the rush. Granted, an NHL goalie would have saved that shot. That was a pretty weak wrist shot um, that he got off there. But I think as you watched Brant Clark on the ice, I mean, he has excellent poise, makes great decisions, great breakout passes. You know, the big question mark around him is, does he have NHL-level skating? Truth be told, I was watching him dictate pace of play just from his blue line last night and and he kind of solidified his position for me as uh, in my opinion the clear cut number 2 defenseman in the draft and if not giving Owen Power some some question marks there now Power obviously doesn't get the advantage of being able to participate in this tournament um so you don't necessarily get to to see him in action here but I mean Brant Clark looked just absolutely dynamite I thought he looked good and and I will say you know the skating still is a question but it, it didn't look as uh, problematic last night and maybe that's because they were in such control that it, it was never you know really a challenge or whatever but I thought he got around the ice fine last night you know yeah I mean you you just didn't see like okay maybe in some turns and skates where you have to watch him chase the puck but Sweden didn't really have the puck to be able yeah. to dump it behind him and make him do the work there and and you know maybe in some scenarios if he gets caught in foot races or uh, you know, maybe his skating strides a little awkward, so he doesn't pick up as much pace. It it is what it is, but at least at the level we're seeing him at, he's been dynamite. In over in Slovakia, he was absolutely dynamite on a very bad hockey team there. So playing in a pro league, absolutely crushed it. Coming over to the World Juniors, absolutely crushing it. All you can do is is kind of play with the the hand you're dealt, and and even though there may be the question marks there, the results are impressive. Yep, I liked his game, uh, and I like him as a prospect. I also could not not notice the hat trick from one Shane Wright, who uh, will be you know one of the top couple picks in the 2022 draft. I think the I think we can call him right now the likely number one overall pick in the 2022 NHL draft. Uh, he starts off his first. I think it's his first what official game, or or how do you term this since of, of the year? Yeah, because, I mean, this is a guy who's been in the OHL, right? And the OHL never right. had a season. This is literally his first game of the year. 
and he drops a hat trick, and the third goal of that hat trick was shorthanded. <laughs> yeah, he's Canada's I mean, it's captain. Just, <laughs> yeah, and 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 he's oh by the way a twenty twenty two eligible. Yeah. It's like this is this is insanity from him. I mean, maybe if you want to count the exhibition against Finland that they played on the twenty fourth. I mean, that's really the only other game he scored a goal in that game too, but. You know, coming out, I mean, his line was just absolutely dominant. You know, playing on a line with Dylan Genther, uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously for a lot of Red Wings fans, that's the pipe dream. Don't don't uh, do yourself a favor and do not <laughs> bank on Shane Wright coming and saving the franchise. Uh, it's still going to be a, a lottery bounce to get him. Uh, and he's still very young, but it, it was very impressive last night. I want to know who else stood out to you in the games that you've watched so far. Did anybody on Sweden stand out to you in an 11-1 to loss? Uh, and who else from the other tournament games you've watched so far popped? So, I mean, I've watched both of Sweden's games, and honestly, almost the entirety of Team Sweden has looked like a dud. It looks like a very... It looks like, honestly, a collection of talented players that are not playing a team system. There's a lot of individuality you're not necessarily seeing uh, you know some of those skills sets come out that you were hoping to see you know William Stromgen was a guy that I was hoping to see a little bit more of uh, I thought he looked better actually against Canada compared to his first game but even still the the inconsistency and his tenacity after the puck is there you know you didn't really get to see anything from William Eklund who's a guy that you want to see a lot from uh, you know, Simon Edvinson, I think looked good in his first game. I think he, he shot the puck so much, almost Dougie Hamilton S with six shots on goal. Um, second game though, absolute disaster. Uh, it's been really hard to evaluate Sweden because they're a team with just a lot of talented players that don't look all that good right now. And I mean, they just got absolutely waxed by the Canadian team there. So I haven't been as impressed with them as I was hoping to be. Um, but if he, if we're going to talk about other guys who have been impressive, I think you have to go and look over at Belarus and Danila Klimovic, who, in, just like Shane Wright, had a nice hat trick, um, you know, in, in, in their game uh, on yesterday. So I think he's been a really impressive player, you know, six foot, 190 pounds, right shot, centerman, uh, playing over in Belarus. So has kind of flown under the radar a little bit for some people, but uh, he's having himself a tournament with four goals in two games. This is interesting. I mean, the, the Belarusian league, so he played, I don't know how to, uh, he played six games in I think what I assume is the Belarusian pro league. What is the Vishaya league? Do you know? I don't know. I have not done honestly I don't know anything about, about the Belarusian league other than that's where yeah. Kirill Tuchiev played this year. Yeah, I have, I think the Vishaya league is the second tier league in Belarus. Okay. So it would be like Allsvenskan in, in Sweden right. or... Uh, the VHL in Russia. So I think it's their second tier league, but yeah, I don't, I have not done enough homework on Belarus. All right. Well, six foot one right shot center. <laughs> um, that's always a good place to start for prospects who is scored at the international level a little bit now here. Um, I don't know that he's done it against like the top of the top competition yet. And so that'll make it something to watch, but I'm curious how much a guy like this can put himself on the radar um, in a tournament like this. I mean, like, you go back and, and obviously the the DEL is a, is a whole other level. Um, you know, it, it is kind of just like one, kind of one notch below. I think the the I guess you'd call them the the big three over in Europe, the KHL, SHL, and Liga, um, and and more outsider played over there. But I I do think you know when you go back and you do the retrospective on more outsider, what a lot of people will say is one reason that they maybe were too low on him was. Um, you know, who, who knew how to like, you know, contextualize all that stuff. And then you, you saw a great performance at the world junior B pool or, or division one, a pool, I guess it's called. Um, and, and then you eventually saw it at the world championships and that was where it really solidified or should have solidified him, um, as, as a top prospect. I won, I mean, I'm not trying to pump the, these tires to the point that people are talking about him in the first round or anything like that, but just as, as a draft prospect, what can one tournament like this mean to a player's stock i guess yeah i think that's a huge thing because with the limited ability to scout live this season i strongly bet there's a lot of people who haven't seen klimovich play in person i had never heard of him yeah and so that's the thing you know nhl central scouting will grade players and those grades usually kind of estimate where they think a player will go they had klimovich as a c-rated prospect which typically means fourth through sixth round coming into this tournament 
I can pretty much guarantee he's not going to go in the fourth through sixth rounds at this point. He's a guy who's certainly working his way up the boards with these live views. I think, uh, you know, continuing to see him play, continuing to see him compete, uh, particularly against the, the the higher competition will be important. Um, you know, I want to see if he can continue to to play at this level against if they get a shot at playing a team like Canada or they play a, a U.S. team. It would be a little bit more interesting to see um, how he makes his reads at those levels, how he positions himself defensively there. But ultimately, um, he's a guy with a lot of skill that has flown under the radar, and this tournament on the world stage is going to certainly offer him some opportunities to shoot up some draft boards. It looks like he would be fifth in the league history for U19 players uh, on a per-game basis, uh, according to Elite Prospects, although I have not heard of any of the guys above him, which I think is noteworthy, um, although they are also very young. Uh, one guy did it last year. So I don't know how what to make of, of his tournament. I don't know what to make of his production. I think that's what makes players like this um, a challenge at any time that you're um, digging into to what they have done in, in a scouting context. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, but I, I think certainly he becomes a name that um, you, you start watching, and I think he'll be fun to follow uh, wherever he does get drafted. And, and certainly I hope he goes off. I hope he has an unbelievable tournament and, and really puts himself on the map. Yeah, I mean, I'm continuing to root for him to, to have himself a, a heck of a tournament here because he's he's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, I mean, you know, if you want to pop over to his teammate, uh, Dimitri Kuzman, who's a defenseman for Belarus, I think he also had a very nice game. I believe uh, uh, if you didn't catch the highlights, he scored a, a Michigan goal uh, in that second game there. Had a, I mean, we're talking about a defenseman with the skill level to be able to pull that off is just ridiculous. So, you know, I think sticking there is a lot of fun. Uh, you pop over to Russia, and even though Russia has sort of been caved in in their first two games, they somehow managed to, to take Finland all the way uh, to the end of the game before blowing their 3-1 lead. They came back on the U.S. Uh, I think the score was at 1.51 uh, U.S., and they came back to beat the U.S. 7-6. And honestly, that kind of comes down to their captain, Nikita Chibrikov, who's been... Uh, I think quietly very good. He's another guy who's got a lot of skill. You wanted to see um, the competitiveness game in and game out. Uh, well, he certainly answered the the bell there. He's got, uh, I believe, four points on the tournament, two goals, two assists. Uh, very, very skilled player. You're looking at him maybe in the, the, the end of the first round, potentially. So with that Washington pick you're looking at. And then Sasha Pastrujov, um for the U.S. has also been one of their better scoring players, although admittedly he's been caught on the ice for a lot of the goals against. So uh, something to watch on to make sure it's not just a one-way street with him. But those are a couple of guys that have just at least stood out thus far with uh, pretty good performances. Pasajov, an option with the Washington pick. Yeah, Pasajov and Chibrikov, I think, are two good options at that Washington pick there. What'd you make of Edvinson in the, in the Sweden game? You know, I, I think the biggest issue with me with Edvinson was like he, he had all the tools and he just needed to see the decision making and making sure he wasn't getting himself caught on rushes and making sure that his end zone coverage was, uh, you know, up to speed. Um, I thought his first game was not that great, but his game against Canada, I actually didn't think was as bad, at least through the first two periods I watched. Obviously, statistically, it's going to look terrible for every player on yeah. Sweden, but at least him specifically, I thought he looked a little bit better, but he's just such a difficult player to evaluate um, because you, you like the tools, you like what he has. He's obviously got the the prototypical size you would like in a defenseman being six foot four, six foot five, um, and 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 a good skater to boot, but you you just gotta make sure that all the pieces from the decision making standpoint are there if you are gonna be thinking about him in the top ten of the draft. I liked most of what I saw in, in, the, in the second two periods. There was a turnover at the offensive blue line I did not like that I thought he should have just either went D to D or, or put deep, but um, tried to make a move and, and it became a turnover. Um, but that happens, and this, that especially happens like if you're someone who wants more skill uh, and more offense, um, sometimes those are things that, that players with offensive instincts and skill try to do, and you have to be willing to let them kind of make mistakes, especially the younger they are. Um, you know, to to see, to put some of those things on tape, I guess, to know that they have them or, or can pull them off. That one didn't work. Um, but, you know, I, I thought all told, I, I, I was not unimpressed by him. I think that the toolkit certainly pops. 
Yeah, the toolkit is definitely there. The question marks are, you know, can you consistently do it? Can you make better decisions? Can you make better reads? Um, can you kind of rein in some of that desire to go chase the offense? Um, and if so, then you have a you have a player that can do everything. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Shall we move on to the mailbag? Let's hit it. All right. We'll try to go go through these relatively quickly today. What reason would there be to not have Lucas Raymond on the 2021-2022 opening night roster? That's from Brad. This is a great question. Um, You know, I think I've advocated maybe that I'm a little bit more in favor of having him on the 21-22 roster just based on kind of what you and I talked about on the last episode where – I'd like to see some of these guys do their learning at the NHL level as opposed to kind of stepping down a, a tier and then potentially learning some bad habits. Um, but, I mean, reason to, to not have Raymond here is, one, if you don't think his injury is healed all the way, which we don't think that's uh, a concern at all. But if you you have any question marks about him being able to be successful at the NHL level, I think you don't. Um, number two, if you have any question marks about how well he transitions from the bigger ice to the smaller ice, which always gets brought up, although I don't know that anyone's definitively prove that it is tougher uh, to make that transition. But I, I think if you have question marks in the organization about that, and you'd like to see him in Grand Rapids first. I think that's that's reasonable. And then three, if you, you know, if the wings go out and they have a ridiculous offseason and they bring in a lot of top six talent and you don't have minutes for him in the top six, I don't know that him grinding away 10 or 11 minutes um, on the fourth line is going to be what you want out of your top prospect. And you you would likely uh, rather him play bigger minutes at a lower level. Yeah, I think my answer to this question is there's there's two reasons why he could not start. One is he's not ready, and and you think he needs more uh, seasoning. And the other is you don't think that he's going he's ready to play um, the kind of role that that you're going to want him to play. I mean, you, you make room. He's you book him with a fourth overall pick. You, if he's ready, you make the space for him to play where he's ready to play. But if he's not ready to to make you make that space. Why on earth would you play him, you know, 10, 11 minutes a night in the NHL when he could be getting 17, 18 minutes a night in the AHL? It's just nonsensical. So we, we've talked about who we kind of project in the, in the picture for next year. Again, if, if you're looking at that, if the Red Wings do not trade a forward this offseason, which maybe they will, and, and this will be kind of moot, but um, you, you have kind of your top six wingers set. And so Lucas Raymond next year would probably need to be able to be better than one of Bertuzzi, Fabry, Zadina, Verana next year to earn a spot in the top six. If he's not, I don't know why you why you push the push the pace with him. I mean, maybe you want to play him with, um, you know, a guy like Nemesnikov on the third line or a guy like Valeno on the third line. I, I guess you could do it. Um, you'd probably still get enough minutes there to justify it. But um, again, you want to know is he ready to do it and is he ready to do it at a level to get enough minutes that you want to be playing? I don't think you want a situation here. He's already done that once in the SHL where he only played like 9, 10, 11 minutes a night his first year in the SHL. Obviously, he's shown he'll do it, uh, but I think you want your young players who you've invested that much playing as much as they can. If they're not ready to do it in the NHL, why you know why let them play less just to, just to have them in your sweater? Yeah, I agree. And now you could also say that all of those reasons are BS reasons, but they are reasons why people might use them um, and, and who's to say, I think none of us really know where his game is going to look. I don't think anyone can conclusively say this game is going to look ready at the NHL right now. So it's, it's just sort of which side of the coin do you fall on? All right. Um, Michael Fick asks, if you were to go back in time, would you still do the trade with Arizona involving Datsuk, Netting, Hironik, and Cholo? Obviously the other end of that trade is the pick that became Jacob Chikrin. I think we can safely say that if you undo the trade, you pick Chikrin. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone's kind of taken a peek over at the stats um, for Chikrin on this season, but he has sort of avowed himself to potentially be in the top 10 for Norris consideration. I think he's been that good for Arizona this year. Um, You know, the statistic in particular, if you want to take a a peek at it, is on Evolving Hockey's website. Uh, You look at their expected goals above replacement. I believe Chikrin is number one amongst defensemen. 
um, in that metric or number two. He's, he's one of the top two players right there, but he's done it big minutes for Arizona. Um, you know, even having two NHL defensemen in, in Philip Peronik and Dennis Chalowski, as good as that is, you would rather have the one elite NHL defenseman than, than two top four, top six defensemen. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it, the, the thing about this trade is you never could have had the hindsight, right? Like that getting out of Datsuk's contract was part of this. Um, but if you're giving me the hindsight, of course, how can I not take the guy who, you know, I don't, I don't know if he'll be a minoris ballot or not this year, but he's certainly someone I have to consider very strongly. And when you have a player that good, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter what the other side of the trade is, you know, like it, it you know, Hironic, I, I legitimately think is, is a legit top four defenseman on a contender. And yet I think Jacob Chikrin is a legit top pair defenseman on a contender. And, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast, there's a whole scale to that, that 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 level is the hardest to find, hardest to achieve. If you're telling me that I undo that trade and I get Jacob Chikrin, how could I say no to that? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And Chikrin's just such a weird case where he was a guy who was the number two player uh, heading into his draft season on, on most boards and somehow slipped all the way to 16. And so... Ended up being a nice steal for Arizona there, but hindsight, definitely go back and, and pick Chikorin. Only thing that probably could have given you pause until this season was injuries, and he's stayed healthy. So, Yeah, and he stays healthy, and he gives you a Norris season. So, Yep, that's right. All right, uh, on to the next one. This one is from Sean. Outside of miraculous drafting, how do the Red Wings get out of the rut the Pistons were in for a decade not competing, but not bad enough to ever be in premium draft position enough times to turn it around. I mean, and that was the whole crux of the articles that I wrote this past week was you have to go all in in one direction, in my opinion, to to get out of the rut. Because if you continue to kind of pin your hopes on one lottery ball that has a very low probability of being uh, top three, particularly as the wings make subtle improvements year after year, uh, you're going to be stuck in mediocrity for a really long time. So you either need to push in on, let me go get elite talent in a different manner via the offer sheet or some other, other manner, or you got to push all in on getting more and more draft picks and almost adopt like a Oklahoma City type uh, rebuild like they're doing in the NBA right now, where I think they own like 17 first round picks in the next four or five years, which is just something ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of the key is, you know, part of the reason the Pistons stayed where they were for so long is they kept drafting a guy and then two picks later, a superstar would get drafted. And that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, as best you can control, which is not fully, but as best you can control, nail your draft picks. And, and that's an unreasonably high bar. I realize it. It's it's not something of, if every if every GM and if every amateur scouting director could assure that we would have perfect drafting and, and you really could assure your future by what the draft order was. That is not the case right now. But if there, if there, if let's say Lucas Raymond is, which I see as a real possibility at this point, let's say the Lucas Raymond at the fourth overall pick was the highest draft pick the Red Wings make in their rebuild. If that is the case, you have to just really work to, to maximize what you can at the seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th, whatever it's going to be. Uh, draft spot uh, as, as best you can. I mean, you, you just have to do the best with what you're given. It's not like the Pistons didn't have a lot of top 10 picks, you know, Greg Monroe, Brandon Knight, Andre Drummond, KCP, Stanley Johnson, uh, even Killian Hayes. I mean, all those guys are top 10 picks. How many of them turned into stars? That, that's the key, you know? Yeah. You got to be able to draft with the picks that you get. Um, and if you're not confident in your drafting, you got to get yourself some more ping pong balls. Uh, Nezzy asks in Prashant's full teardown option, why not trade Larkin? Out of respect for Max. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> uh, That's really it. I mean, you should be open to it. You should be open to it. I'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> and if he's going to net you the best return, then you go that route. But obviously, no, more, more seriously, there is a uh, there's a culture aspect to to making sure that you're not completely wiping out anyone who can bring this team up. You're not wiping out anyone who uh, was tethered to kind of that prior culture at atmosphere that the Red Wings had built and cultivated for so many years. I think that's just as important with Dylan Larkin as his on-ice play. And if you wipe all of that out, sure, that's maybe the best strategy from a purely objective standpoint. Uh, but I do think that has some bad outcomes that, or maybe a little bit hard to pick up on on just the surface. Do you think it's possible that 
that there would be like a Ryan O'Reilly vibe there of like Buffalo trades him, he goes, he wins a cup, and you're like, uh oh. That's because yeah, that, that's one reason. Like, I'm a risk averse yeah. person. That, like, that's one fear I would have in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, if you think that you have a player who could be unlocked by another team to really hit that Ryan O'Reilly type tier, um, then yeah, you have to absolutely be worried about that. And 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 Buffalo completely botched that deal. And now look at Buffalo where they're at. There's going to be in the worst. They're the worst team in the league once again. So. You know, you, you do have to be careful, but it, it's honestly not related to on performance. You should trade him if you're doing this purely objectively. But I think there there is a culture aspect that Dylan Larkin brings to this hockey team that, you know, you shouldn't sacrifice, um, you know, for the sake of adding one more ping pong ball. And also out of respect to me. And out of respect for Max. Yeah. Uh, Cider and Juice says, Blasher seems to really like going 11-7. and seven. What are the advantages and drawbacks choice uh, to that choice compared to 12-6? He says it feels difficult to develop line chemistry in that system, but can see how the opposition would have to deal with varied lines. You have uh, some good stats on the Red Wings going 11-7, and seven, especially at LCA. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at this in the last month where Blashell has done this a handful of times, so these stats may be a little bit out of date, but I had looked at this through March 20th, and when Blashell had gone 11-7 and seven at home, the Wings were actually 12-6-1, scoring almost three goals per game, giving up about 2.75, but at least a positive goal differential. But, you know, funnily enough, when Blashell had gone uh, to 11 and 7, but did it on the road, again, you know, maybe there's the subtleties of, of the that coach not having the last line change anymore. The Wings are 05 and 2 in Blashell's career, and they are absolutely cratered in those games. They score 1.86 goals per game, giving up 4.86 goals against. Um, I don't know if there really is anything to this home road split. Well, last change uh, could be relevant there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. It's like, is is last change enough to drive a difference of three and a half goals against per game? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's probably overstated. And these numbers, again, may have changed uh, since March 20th, which was the last time I pulled them. But Also no, be interesting I mean, to see who the opponents are, like road and home, with a sample this small. Like if, yeah. if, if in seven games, if they were if those seven were all against Tampa and Carolina, that would explain eighty percent of it. You know? Yeah, that would. I mean, that would be exactly it. So that's why I don't. I don't know if there's anything to the split besides uh, things that I haven't documented. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I think line chemistry is somewhat overrated, and I think line matching is somewhat overrated. Um, I think skilled players know where to be and within the crux of a system, those players should be there. And uh, sure, you can say that there are certain guys who play very well together. I mean, we've talked about it over the course of the year, like Datsuk and Zetterberg always knew where they were. The Sedin twins obviously always knew where they each other were. And so there's something in that regard. But I do think globally speaking, it is a little overstated. So I don't I don't really have an issue with it. Um, particularly if you're trying to rotate in a couple of younger defensemen and get them kind of protected matchups i think what i've heard about this is the forwards the, well, at least the conventionalism about this is the forwards don't mind it because they get more ice time and the defensemen don't like it because nobody gets you know their normal ice time this way <laughs> right <laughs> it's it's just it's a funny strategy i would personally go the opposite direction and play more forwards and less defensemen but you know we're in a league that is adamant about having no goals whatsoever and we just saw a classic game of that between tortorella and blashill <laughs> Um, and, and so that's why you see the 11 and 11, seven strategy come out. This is from me, but two advantages I could see. Um, number one allows you to get more specialists in the lineup when it comes to defensively. Like if you're the Red Wings and you wanted to get Christian juice a game to run your power play, um, or Dennis Chalowski, although I think he has again, looked better and, and can, and at even strength as well. Um, but if you wanted to get kind of a power play specialist into your lineup, it's one way to do it. Um, and in terms of the forwards, if, if you don't have, if you don't have a forward crop that you're fully confident in 12 guys, it's a way to play the 11 you're confident in and you can kind of keep rotating, almost giving your skill guys those extra minutes. And if, if you have a line that, you know, let's say your two man line is, 
Michael Rasmussen and Bobby Ryan was one for a while. If you just rotate through and you can give Mantha some shifts on that line, Sveshnikov some shifts on that line, Zadina some shifts on that line, Larkin some shifts on that line, all of a sudden you have two lines or three lines instead of one or two that, that you actually like the scoring potential of. Those would be the advantages that I could see to it. Yeah, particularly if you want to rotate some skill forwards through with some of your other really high skill guys. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. So, and you know, I don't think the drawbacks that he suggested are unreasonable. I, I do think I believe in chemistry, but I don't know if it's just because it was beaten into my head my whole life that it exists. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just funny. Like those are some of the just concepts that I think are always discussed and talked about. But again, to my knowledge, I don't know that anyone's necessarily proved that it exists. So I'm I'm just going to be a skeptic as I always am. Yeah, fair enough. All right, last one is a quick one from Cody. If each of you started for the Red Wings tomorrow, what number would you be wearing? Uh, and the reason I like it is because you have to, as, as Red Wings instead of NHL, is because you have to take into account the retired numbers. That is true. Um, and conveniently enough, I think the number I would wear just opened up because when I was a goalie in my younger days, I wore 39 for Dominic Hasek. And there now seems to be a void of a 39 on the Red Wings. So uh, very clearly I would be picking up 39 and going that way. First hockey number I ever had was 12 because I had two cousins who were 11 and 13. And before I actually played hockey, they had me like a jersey printed. Uh, that was me and I was number 12 to go in between them. That one's taken. That's Sid Abel. Uh, next number I had was number 17. That one's taken by Philip Hronik. Uh In high school, I wore number 24. Uh, that one's taken by Richard Ponick and John Merrill before him. So I would have to go with the number I've been wearing in beer league, which is 95. All right, so we're going to throw it back to the Dmitry Miranoff days. I love it. I just think more guys should wear numbers in the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, they just, it looks cool. It looks way cooler. I just, there's this whole, again, I don't know what the issue is, but more guys should be able to do this. And you know what? I, I would love to see it. Nemestikov looks really, really cool. Joe Valeno looked really cool out there. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, give me more guys with numbers in the 90s, but... uh for me, unfortunately, you know, my, my number 39, I'm going to have to stick with that. All right. Fair enough. That'll do it for us today. Uh, Red Wings are going to Carolina on Thursday and then a pair of games at LCA against Tampa Bay on Saturday We will and Sunday. Uh, we will be back here early next week to break all of that down for you. Until then, take care.